0: hi this is randy cross of the san francisco 49ers three-time super bowl champion and i love my time with the pro sports Podcasters.
1: we are the pro sports podcasters where no sport is left behind
0: it's time for another episode of the pro sports podcasters with your hosts nee wallace bruce Colbert Durand, and justin williams on this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport, from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered.
1: Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. My name is Kober Geron. You guys know me as Kobe, and today I've got a veteran sports analyst, sportscaster, podcaster, radio show host. This guy's done it all. He's worked in both the Houston and Atlanta markets, but he's covered literally everything in the world of sports. I'd like to welcome today to the show, Carl Dukes. Carl, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well, Kobe. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm so glad to have you on, but I want to get right into it with one of the top teams in the Atlanta market right now. They're having a kick-ass season. They looked fantastic again last year. Are the Braves going to reach 100 games again this season?
0: I think they are. I think this is a team that has the potential to be better than even last year's team that won over 100 games. No Dansby Swanson, but uh, Arcea has stepped in and done an amazing job. And, you know, I think when you look at the lineup and the makeup of this team, uh, there are concerns. Every team has concerns. But um, this team, you know, right now, 15, 16 games over 500, you know, nine and a half games in front of the Mets, who was their nemesis. Everything's rolling right now, and and things just feel like this team has a chance to do something special. Everybody needs more pitching, and certainly the Braves do. But you know, you've got Morton and Strider. If they're able to get Max Freed back and right, uh, the pitching is going to shape out, and and the lineup is as good as anybody's lineup in the major leagues. So Ronald Acuna is the best player in Major League Baseball, hands down. I love Shohei Otani, and I get it. Nobody's doing what he's doing, but. There's no better 5-2 player than Ronald Acuna. So I think there's absolutely a chance they're not only going to win 100 games, but they're going to go deep in the playoffs. I like that
1: you mentioned the Mets as a rival. The Mets have what appear to be endlessly deep pockets when it comes to who they want to bring in and potentially make themselves a competitor. What do you think the difference is between an organization like the Mets and an organization like the Braves?
0: Alex Topless? plain and simple. We have the better general manager. And I know they have an owner that wants to spend, you know, an obscene amount amount of money. <laughs> yes. But it doesn't matter because you can't buy championships. Championships are built. They are built through the right makeup of players and complimentary guys. And Alex and Dopplulis and has done an amazing job of building that here with locking up young guys way before it's time. And then also the eye, right? The scouting department here has just been crazy. When you talk about the, the kind of talent that you go, OK, well, we're going to bring this guy up. Well, what? How good is he? Oh, well, Michael Money Harris might be the best center fielder in Major League Baseball. We're going to bring this guy. Up. Well, how good is he? Oh, Strider. He's going to strike out 200 guys in his rookie season. It's those things that the Mets lack and haven't can, haven't done traditionally um, to be good. You know, they haven't done enough of. So that's basically the difference. It, it, it's all about front office in baseball. You got to get the right guys and the right players. And you got to got to draft, not only draft, but more importantly, develop the right guys. And, you know, from the Austin Rileys of the world to the Acunas, to the Albies, to the A.J. Mentors, all those guys are in-house. That's all guys that have been with this organization and have been developed and came up and have helped this team win a World Series. And I think they're going to give them a chance to get, win another one this year.
1: Now, looking at the, the pitching rotation for you guys, they, I, I would say they've almost overachieved now you look at the names and not everyone there is considered an ace but they're finding ways to win is this a result of the strength of the bullpen or is it a result of the strength of the rotation when it comes to putting runs
0: on the board you know i, I think more importantly the lineup puts pressure on people you know acuna leads off he gets on he leads the league in stolen bases. So immediately you're thinking about this guy's going to run, um, and mm-hmm. now you're not focused on the next guy. I think when you talk about Olsen and Riley, the 1-2-3 punch for the, for the Braves, I don't know if there's any any team that has a better 1-2-3. So he gets on, he steals, all of a sudden he's in scoring position, and then you've got to deal with Riley and Olsen, and now you're putting you know runs on the board, and now you're putting pressure on these opposing pitchers. And I just think that is how – quickly things escalate for teams when they face the Braves. And then there's something about clutch, Kobe. This team's clutch. Mm-hmm. Garcia's clutch. Ozzy's clutch. Acuna's clutch. Like, they come up in these big spots, you know, ninth inning, down one, two outs. Okay, I get a knock. We win. I mean, it's like that's no big deal. The pressure doesn't mount for these guys where in big moments they fold up. And I think that's also something you can't you, – you just – you don't know until you see these guys in those moments – But there's a lot of that on this team. And when you have a lot of that and the confidence and the camaraderie they have in the clubhouse, you've got something special.
1: I would also say this team's adjusted well to the rules changes. I think that's something that's actually hurt the Jays. I mean, we are in the Toronto market, so I've watched how the rules changes have affected certain players and affected the way we play. I think the Braves have benefited from the rules changes. How do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the designated hitter, which – now we all see works perfectly and the shift Mm -hmm. was a joke Uh, (laughs) analytics are are great but the shift was a joke and and i think you know you start incorporating all of these things guys working faster to the plate the pitch clock yeah i think the rules have benefited the braves but i think they were built in a way that the rules one way or the other weren't going to necessarily make or break them and you know when they went to the designated hitter uh, across the board you can keep a guy like you know Ozuna, Marcel Ozuna, who's been great this last two months, he started out slow. He was terrible, but he's come on and now you can, you know, you have a guy like that that you can go to the, to the DH and you can switch things up with your lineup. I think Brian Snicker has done an amazing job with this with this club. He just has. And do you think the rules changes are good for baseball in general? I do. Nobody wants to sit through four hours of anything. <laughs> the only thing we sit through four hours of is an NFL <laughs> game because it's our drug. Um, we we are not willing to sit through a four-hour three hour or three-hour-and-30 or three-hour-and-50-minute baseball game. So stop playing with your balls. Stop adjusting your wristbands. And let's get up there and let's play. Let's hit, let's pitch, and let's get through this thing. And, and I think more people will go to games, especially during the week around the country, because now you know we've got kids in school and, and we get to a game at 7 o'clock. Well, hell, if I'm out of there by 9, 9.15, 9.30 – that beats 10-15, 10-30, and then I'm getting home at 11, the kids have to get up. A lot of people yeah. just go, oh, screw it, I'm not going to go. Now, you're giving me a reason, hey, I'm going to be at the ballpark two hours, going to have a good time, and we'll get up out of there. That's a big deal for Major League Baseball.
1: Yeah, I think I think as fans adjust, as, as new fans get into the game, it's going to make it a little more appealing and, like you said, more accessible. For the average family, I think it's really good for baseball. I 100% agree with you in that in that sentiment. Now let's move on to a team that's not doing as well in the Atlanta market. Let's talk a bit about the Atlanta Falcons and what you think about their situation right now.
0: You know, you needed, you needed fresh blood and you needed a new plan. And for all the things that Thomas Dimitrov did over the years, and he's the winningest general manager and he drafted Matt Ryan and all of that stuff, which is great, but not being in the playoffs for the last five years – having salary cap issues, um, there was a lot of stuff that needed to be fixed. And, you know, a lot of times you take for granted when these guys take jobs, how how tied their hands are in making moves and trying to make your team better. And so for the Falcons, it, it, everything's looking up. The draft was great. Um, you know, Kobe, I called this whole Bijan John Robinson thing two months before it happened, um, not because I had inside information, but just because – of the folks that I were talking to, everybody kept coming back to how talented he was. Um, and I'm a Texas fan. I'm a Texas guy. So I watched all their games and I saw what he was, you know, the dope Walker winner. He was the rest, best running back in, in college football. But the fact is when you start saying, I'm going to pass on a guy that may be the second or third best player on the board period, you're making a mistake. It doesn't matter what position. So, I've always been a guy that says, give me talent, and then I'll figure it out. Ironically, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot think the same way. Give me talent, and I'll figure it out. So when they decided to take him eighth overall and everybody freaked out, I thought it was a brilliant play because he's just so versatile, but you're not passing on the second or third best overall guy on the board, on the entire board in the NFL draft. So from that standpoint, to answer your question, things are looking up. I'm excited about where they're going. Um, I'm excited. Just just was talking with Arthur last week. We had a one-on-one. It was up at Flowery Branch where they train. And um, he's very optimistic and, you know, not sharing any secrets. But I think this offense is going to take its next step. Now, that all depends on Desmond Ritter and how good he is, which is still a big question mark. But he's got guys around him that are going to make his job a lot easier.
1: Now, I'll say this when it comes to Ritter because, yeah, that may be the question mark there. But when you look at the skill positions – on the Atlanta Falcons, you're really well set up to kind of run 12 technique and have a power running game. So I think that takes a lot of the focus off of Ritter and puts it on to guys like Pitts, Smith, Algier, Robinson, like you said, and it's going to give him time to develop and behind him, you've got Heineke has proven he can do it. So I kind of like what they're doing there. I'm just getting Questions about the defensive side of the ball. What do you think they've done so far defensively this offseason?
0: Well, they spent all their their money in free agency uh, on the defensive side, right? You go get Jesse Bates, the number one safety in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. You go get Anya Mata, a, a solid piece from the New Orleans Saints, who the new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen, is familiar with. You add Calais Campbell. Look, I know he's a little long in the tooth, but he can still play.
1: I'm a Calais fan, buddy. I'm a fan.
0: Oh, he can, he can still play. And I've got friends, you know, in the Ravens organization who were like, immediately wanting that deal happen. And he had other choices. He had other opportunities to go elsewhere. But he liked the philosophy and what they're trying to build here. And, you know, he said, listen, I, I like what's going on. I, I, I want to be here. Um, but guys immediately hit me up and were like, "Dukes, Calais has still got game. So he may be the best defensive lineman on the team <laughs> coming in, even at his age right now. But, you know, Grady Grady Jarrett has been the, the mainstay, and he's just needed help. You know, he's needed other guys around him, and he hasn't had that. So you add it to that defensive line. You go get Kate Nellis, another New Orleans Saints linebacker who's familiar with Ryan Nilsson and this defense that he was going to run. It'll be very similar to Dean Pease, but different in some ways. Um, but I think you've added experience, and more importantly, guys who, who can play, like, you forget over the last couple of years, most of the guys on the defensive side of the football for the Falcons have been one-year one year deals. These have been guys that are just basically, hey, I'm trying to h- either hang on in the NFL or maybe play for another deal next year somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But they were competitive. And that's the thing, Kobe, is you're telling me Arthur Smith won seven games with Matt Ryan and a depleted roster. Oh, and then he won seven <laughs> games without Matt Ryan and Marcus Mariota, who quit on the team. What is he going to do with a talented roster?
1: Okay, so as an analyst, from your perspective, what, what's the what's the expectation of that team this season?
0: Playoffs, 10 wins. Really? Yes. I know it sounds crazy. And the reason is because you have your Falcon football eyes on what, what was, not what is. So I just told you, two years in a row, seven wins with a depleted roster, salary cap issues, and flat-out guys that were... That wouldn't start anywhere else in the NFL. Yes. That has completely changed and turned over. And I think this team has the capability to not only win this division, but get to the playoffs. Listen, there's no Tom Brady here anymore. Okay. There's no Drew Brees. Carolina, for everything that I love about Bryce Young, is breaking in a rookie quarterback. He's yeah. a rookie. You look at, Derek Carr and what he is, there's a possibility that certainly they can make a run. And if you beat the Saints, which usually happens, they usually split with the Falcons because it's such a rivalry. It's one of the best in the NFL. You, you Then you're looking at handling business against a, a Tampa team that, that is not it anymore and a Carolina team that has some pieces, but I'm not sure how good Carolina is going to be, you know, and who's Bryce throwing the ball to. There's a lot of question marks there as well. So, I think the Falcons have a legitimate shot. You know, some people say this is maybe the the weakest quarterback division in the NFL simply because of the unknowns. Baker Mayfield, yes, he's played, but if he starts, what's he going to be for Tampa? Desmond Ritter, Bryce Young, and then of course, Derek Carr. Carr's the most experienced of the group. He's done, he's the most accomplished, but that doesn't mean the Saints are automatically going to win this division. I know how this rivalry plays out. It is competitive. Even when, when in years, those teams have been bad. So, Mm -hmm. The expectation is playoffs.
1: That's your expectation, given the recent history. What, what would the fans' expectation be?
0: Well, if you won seven last year, and again, I get back to this because I think I just think it's important. You're telling me this team won't win two more games. So if you're telling me you're nine wins, does that get you in to the playoffs? If you're a nine, and a nine or ten win team, does that get you in? Because I think that's the realistic expectation with the way the schedule plays out. Um, they have one of the easiest easier schedules in the NFL because of past performance and teams that are on their schedule. Yeah. So I don't think it's unrealistic for for fans to think that we should win two more games than we won last year with a better roster. That's not unrealistic. And oh, by the way, if this Bijan Robinson cat is as good as we think he is, what kind of effect does he have on an offense that had a hard time scoring in the red zone? And you just talked about the the 22 personnel and, and the things that Arthur can do now in the Red Zone this team should take the next step.
1: All right. And you, you brought up Bijan Robinson and fair enough. I mean, I, to me, he was the number one prospect in the draft period. So looking at what's happening this offseason when it comes to running backs with recognizable names, like so many free agents, you've got Saquon refusing to to sign the franchise tag. What do you think the future for running backs is in this league?
0: Well, pure running backs are there is there such a thing now think about Christian McCaffrey and how he's used he's phenomenal even think about even thinking about Saquon Barkley he he's just not they're not handing the ball off to him like he's Walter Payton okay mm-hmm. so i think now what we're seeing and this is all stemming back i had a great conversation with Arthur Smith about this and and other coaches around the league because this is where the league is kids now are growing up and they're playing all year and they're playing seven on seven. So, seven on seven, you're not handing the ball off. That's quarterback, wide receiver, and corner and safety drills and linebackers covering. That's right. But what you're getting is running backs learning, like Bijan Robinson, to run routes, to catch the ball out of the backfield, and to be a bigger weapon. The thing about Bijan, and this is why the Falcons took him. So, they go down to Austin, they meet with him. They're meeting with these people. One is a phenomenal kid. And when I say that, you talk about, you know, manners, respect, his his makeup, his faith, belief, all of that stuff matters when you're trying to build a culture of winning. You don't want knuckleheads, you don't want guys that are going to be troublemakers, and you don't want guys that live on the edge. You need some of that but not when you're not winning. You, you need to win and try to build that before you start bringing that kind of person into a, club, uh, into a locker room. I say all that to say they go down to Austin and they're working him out. Kobe, he ran routes better than most of the wide receivers in this draft. <laughs> I'm, not about, I'm not talking about little fades and you know out of the backfield and, and little drop-offs. They gave him a route tree to run. He delivered and ran it better than most wide receivers in the league. So they were like, "Holy crap! What the hell?" So now Arthur Smith's mind is going, and he's saying to himself, "Well, this is not a running back. This is a weapon." And so when you ask me the question about what what is the value of a running back, it's not the, it's not a running back. He's a weapon. They drafted Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts was considered to be a tight end in college. Kyle Pitts is a four four six six guy. That's a weapon. That's not a tight end. He'll block. Yeah, he'll catch some balls over the middle, but put him in the scene where he can outrun everybody. Put him on the outside where he is a mismatch on a 5'9 or 5'10 corner. That's a weapon. So I don't see this whole thing about running backs, per se, when you say, are they devalued? Is he a weapon and how do I use him is really the answer to that question. No one is toting the rock 35 times a game anymore in the NFL. It's just not happening.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I think the single greatest weapon in the NFL is Christian McCaffrey on offense. I think he's the, in my opinion, he's the offensive MVP for the NFL, the way he can be utilized. So should running backs who have that dual threat capability be making as much or more than the top wide receivers in the league?
0: I think they should be on par with them. I don't think they should be making more or you know necessarily uh, making more. If you're telling me Stefan Diggs is making $18 million for the Buffalo Bills and Christian McCaffrey is is as important to his team as Stefan Diggs, he should be able to make that kind of money. Mm -hmm. The problem becomes, who are you paying? Who do you keep and who do you pay? So – you know, that that it's not the issue of the pay. It becomes if we sign Saquon to $17 million a year, how does that affect us long term with maybe other guys we want to keep or pay to help Daniel Jones? That becomes the issue because you can't have a $30 million wide receiver uh, like, like Cheetah and then have a $30 million running back and a $30 million quarterback. You just can't. Correct. So that becomes the issue. It's not whether they should or shouldn't be paid. Of course they should. If, if Christian McCaffrey, to your point, is as valuable to the 49ers as Diggs or as the Cheetah is to Miami, he needs to be paid accordingly. And I think he is. So that's where I'm at with that. But it's it's all about choosing who you pay.
1: Okay. Okay. Now, let's look at a team that's in some flux here and I would say is underperforming in Atlanta. And that's the Hawks. The Hawks have had a 500 season. And I would have expected significantly more given their roster. What needs to be done to advance the Atlanta Hawks right now?
0: Well, there's a lot to this. I mean, there's a lot to unpack with, with what's going on with the Hawks uh, because of the behind-the-scenes stuff that has happened. Okay. Uh, with the general manager, former general manager, Travis Slink, who's no longer with the team. Uh, Landry Fields is now the current general manager. You know, Kyle Korb is in the front office. Uh, and I love Kyle. I think he's a great guy. He was a great shooter. But when you start talking about building rosters and building championship caliber teams, you know, that's a whole nother level. And so you've got to first look at the front office and the ownership and Tony Wrestler and say, OK, what is he willing to do? Is he willing to go into the luxury tax to attract other guys and pay other guys that may be willing to help Trey Young? The team is not it's not flawed. But something was fundamentally wrong when you go out and get DeJounte Murray and you're still a 500 team and yep. you're out in the first round. Correct. So the, the question is, what moves need to be made and who do you keep this offseason to progress this team and this organization forward? Trey Young's a superstar, period. There is There are no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Go look at his playoff numbers compared to other greats that have been in the playoffs. This guy's giving you 30 and 10 In playoff games, he's hitting game winners. He's doing everything he possibly can. The reason why – and let's get into the minutiae here a little bit, Kobe. The reason why they were able to go into – and get to the Eastern Conference Finals the year they did. And and I just want you to think about this from a Trey Young standpoint because Trey's still doing the same things. But the year they go to Eastern Conference Finals, they beat Philly – They're playing Milwaukee. If Trey doesn't get hurt that year, they may beat beat Milwaukee. Referee steps on his ankle; he gets a a severe ankle sprain. Mm -hmm. Just not the same player. And Giannis and them go on to win the championship. But what happened is that team had veteran shooters and scores around Trey, so he was still able to do the things he was doing. And you had a young, you know, Red Velvet Kevin Herter, who's now with the Sacramento Kings, who wasn't scared of the moment. He was great in those series. But you had you know Bogey and. Bogdanovich uh, not not Bogdanovich but uh you had uh what's I can't remember his name um I'm thinking about that roster but there were two or three guys including you know that had championship experience that had played on championship caliber teams that could score and what has happened is those guys that 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 group got depleted whether it be retirement trades and Trey's still on the same things but he doesn't have that scoring around him so they've got to create and figure out a way to be able to, to score um, with Trey in the way that he plays. And then the DeJounte Murray thing is interesting because I don't know if it works. He is the same player. No disrespect to Trey, but he if you let DeJounte just go out and play on any given day, yeah. he'll give you 20, 10, uh, 10 assists, and he'll give you three steals. And... When you look at it fundamentally, they're two ball-dominant guys. And that becomes the issue for Quentin Snyder is to how do you figure that out. Trey needs the ball in his hands to create and do the things he wants to do. But so does DeJounte. And so when he was an all-star with the Spurs, that is kind of how he played. And then you're asking him to come in and you go, DeJounte, I just need you to run around and get your shot. <laughs> exactly. well, that's not how he plays. That's not how he plays. I, I would so, argue,
1: too, that he's the kind of player that needs the ball more. To to elevate his game, basically. Yeah. Right? He can't be sparingly utilized.
0: So that's kind of the issue um, that's going on, and, and they're gonna have to figure out what that entails and how that's going to look for Trey to be successful. But I'm a believer. Uh I give him a lot of, you know, I give him a lot of shit because I want him to be a 30-year-old Trey Young. Not a guy that came into the league at 19 and now is 23 or whatever he is. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the leadership that I've wanted and said he needs to to stand up and, and you know, be accountable for he hasn't done. And he's just so young, man. I mean, gee, we think these guys are like, again, coming to the league. You know, they're not they're not 35 year old guys. They're They're 19. Most of these guys aren't even ready to play. He played one year in college, comes into the league and kills it. And then, you know, within a three-year period, you're in the Eastern Conference Finals. Who's not going to believe that they're, you know, that they're believing their height? So that's right. Part of, part of that is just the growth and the maturity. And I've had that conversation with Trey's dad, who's been amazing. Um, you know, Trey's dad has obviously been a big part of his life. And he's at all the games and, and you know, he, he's very outspoken. But we keep talking about how young this group is. And that's the other part. Do you give up and start trading pieces away when you've got a you know a twenty five year old uh, DeAndre Hunter, you know a twenty five or twenty six, maybe I think he's twenty seven now, um, John Collins, you know all these guys that you drafted, you're gonna give up on them, or you're gonna continue to try to develop them and realize, hey, maybe we hit before we should have, we got there a little bit sooner, but we got to retool and this team can be really good. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With
1: sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino.
0: It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus.
1: Okay, so you're saying this isn't necessarily a strictly uh, off-the-court problem or on-the-court problem. It's a combination of both. It is a combination of both. And there's no reason to blow up the team just yet.
0: Well, when you have turmoil behind the scenes that that is part of the issue where you say is this something that they can overcome meaning is this something that whether it's you know management and the star having a disagreement him not getting along with Nate McMillan Nate being fired Travis Schlink being let go can you overcome all of that obviously some of that played a role in, in how this season played out and i want to go back to to what i was talking about in the 21 season when they got to the eastern conference finals I was talking about Gallo was the other guy. So okay. you had Bogdanovich and, and Gallinari, both veteran scorers. Now, Gallo was, was in Boston this year, but he blew his knee out and didn't play. And I got to tell you, if they had him, they might have they been back in the finals because he's such a good scorer and just knows how to get his shot. He's a big guy that can play. But those two guys, along with guys like, you know, you had – Chris Dunn on that team, a veteran at the time. You had uh, a Solomon Hill on that team who had been to an NBA finals, I think the year before with the Miami Heat, who was an in the locker room uh, a leader. And I'm just talking about these are these are guys that uh, Lou Williams was on that team. You had guys that could get buckets. And so that was part of the makeup of that team. And that's kind of what he's missing now. Who's picking up the scoring when he is not Necessarily getting the shots he wants, or for that matter, who else can take over a game? And right now on this team, there's really no one else that can take over a game. And that's been part of the, the problem of the, the makeup of this team.
1: Is this, are we looking at like a three year development turnaround here, or it could be quicker than that?
0: No, it could be quicker. It should be quicker. The problem is you gave three first round picks away for DeJounte Murray. Yeah. And I got to tell you, that was dumb. Uh, I love DeJounte Murray. Nice dude. Can who? But you don't give up three first-round picks unless you got Giannis, Joker. There's only about three guys. No, I'm being serious. I hear you. There's only about about three guys that I'm giving up three first-round picks for. Because when you do that, you're basically saying I'm a championship-caliber team. Correct. So if if you give up three first-round picks for LeBron James in his prime, it makes sense. Dwayne Wade in his prime. It makes sense. Joker, Giannis, um... I wouldn't give up three first round picks for Jason Tatum right now. You know that like you really have to say he's coming and when he gets here, we're going to the championship. Correct. There's only like three guys in the league that, that I do that for. So that is the issue, but it should happen sooner. But that becomes an issue because now what are you trading and what are you giving to get the players you need to come in here?
1: Okay, well, we'll watch this space for sure. Now, because of where you're located and because I'm a fan, I understand you're a fan as well. I, I got Are you a fan of golf, correct? Big time. Okay, so you're only a couple hours from Augusta. So what do you think of the merger between the PGA Tour and Live Golf?
0: Um, I think Live Golf bought the PGA. And the reason why I say that is because in the language that has been issued by this conglomerate that is yet to be approved, by the way, by, yeah. by you know. The, yeah, nothing the yeah, nothing finalized. Nothing <laughs> finalized because they're looking at this and they're going, wait a minute. This is a total monopoly. Nobody will ever be able to come in into that golf space and ever compete, which is true. Correct. But Lib bought bought the PGA. And the reason why I say that is because in the language, it's pretty, it's pretty simple to me when you talk about who's controlling the finances. And... The P.I.F., OK, yeah. which is basically <laughs> the, the financial arm of Live Golf, has first right of refusal. And they also cannot allow anyone else who wants to maybe invest into this new entity to say, no, we don't need that. So all of the money from the money side of it is coming from the Live Golf side. And as the game grows and these pots get bigger and these, you know, it's great for the golfers. And as a golf fan, I'm happy that I'm going to get the chance to see the best golfers. Listen, the U S open starts this week. I'm super excited about seeing everybody that I want to watch, not having this split crap that's been going on. And I didn't watch any of the live events just because I didn't know where to find it. You know, it was like, (laughs) give me a break. I don't don't know where the hell find this. So, so, so now we get the chance to get back to, to seeing, you know, all of our best guys and best golfers playing, but For me, here's the biggest thing. And this is what I would tell you um, outside of that. The fact that Liv basically said we're going to finance this and we'll we'll buy you. Uh, Phil, Phil was right. (laughs) Phil Mickelson was right. And this is hard to swallow for a lot of people. But when you start talking about the public investment fund, Mm -hmm. which is Saudi Arabia's, you know, basically money <laughs> slush fund, however you want to say it, the, the, the fund exactly.
1: that
0: puts all the money up. That is the part for me where I go, okay, wow. They are, will make a capital investment into the new entity to facilitate its growth and success. And when I saw that Kobe, I was like, okay, this is not a merger. This is a takeover. This is we. we don't have any ratings, but we got a bunch of your guys and we're going to continue to attract a bunch of your guys. And the PGA is going crap. We got all this litigation, and we don't want to spend millions and millions of dollars to do this. Correct. And you know what? We want our guys want to get some of that money that that you know where, where you guys are as far as the winnings. Let's just do this. But Phil Mickelson and I'm just going to say this since you asked it. When he was asked about this whole possibility, I'm going back to 2021, and Phil basically put it out there and said that you know i think it was in his in the book which got him in trouble with the quote but he said they're scary mother blankers Mm -hmm. to get involved with and he was talking about you know they killed you know washington post reporter and u.s resident jamal khashoggi they have a horrible record on human rights phil said all this but then people lost focus because phil then said this is the only way we get leverage and this is the only way the pga will ever change and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but but Phil said something to the to, to the essence, Kobe, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He says, uh, what would he say? He said, oh, the, the investment fund, that PIF thing I was talking about, has finally given, given us leverage, is what he said. And I'm not sure that I even want the league to be successful. Phil said all of this, yeah. but his whole premise was, if we don't do this, we're never going to get the money that's deserved being the players and being the guys in front of the PGA Tour. And he talked about Jay Monaghan saying he'll never change unless we have leverage. So that's what Phil wanted. Phil wanted exactly what has transpired. He got it. He's right. For sure. For sure. So I just think a lot of people saw Phil as a, as a bad guy in this. And I get it because, you know, here you are talking about human rights issues, yet you're still taking the money. But here's the kicker. Now the PGA took the money. They took the money. Are, do you feel the same way about them as you felt about Phil? I mean, don't be I a hypocrite. I do. Well, okay. well, that's the thing, but don't be <laughs> okay. a hypocrite. Don't don't say <laughs> Phil is a jerk and and then say, well, yeah, but the PGA. No, 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 no. The PGA took the same money.
1: Oh, yeah. So Yeah. yeah. Like it, it, you end up looking, you get pie in your face, right? It, it's 100% they have pie in their face and they look a little bit ridiculous in, in their arguments leading up to this. But I think we're... Phil gets somewhat vilified to a certain extent is so he's complaining about you know the the proper division of profits between the players and the organization and he himself I mean is a hugely successful golfer so he already has the money so I think that's where people looked at it like what's what's he got to bitch about but he was really speaking on behalf of golfers in the pga who don't really have the same platform or voice that he has who if they went out and said something have a legitimate argument. but because it came from phil it looks a little a little, a little hypocritical because he had made so much money through the pga already i think True. that's where things kind of got mixed up right but somebody had to say it who had made money because they needed the platform right yes you can't yes. have some guy who finishes who, who makes Nobody. half the cuts and, and, and never finishes in the top 20 who scrapes by, really, in the PGA playing golf, come out and say it's unfair to us when no one knows who they are, right? So I I think that's why certain players that went to live, the high-profile guys who we know made a shit ton of money, looked a little bit ridiculous, but they do have what they have now. And and something I've gone on record saying, and I want to see what you think about it, but I, I give the Live Golf Tour... Another year, three at the outset. But I think they're going to scrap it, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the other crazy thing for all the guys that didn't take money. Uh, Rory, uh, Morikawa, uh, you know, Ricky. All these guys are like, no, I'm good. Yeah. How pissed off would you be if you knew you could have got a hundred mil and end up back on the same for, tour a year later season. with no consequences? Yeah, exactly for one season of work, right? With, with no consequences. <laughs> I mean, come on. And everybody's like, oh, these guys are going to pay. What are you going to do? You're going to hold them out of PGA events. I mean, it's, this is ridiculous. You, you, you did this because you know how it benefits the, the tournaments and more importantly, the tour. Yeah. Liv was not, Liv was on life support. Oh, yeah. Not from a money standpoint. From an interest standpoint, correct. you can continue to pay these guys $80, $100, $150 million all you want. <laughs> the interest level wasn't there. So, yeah, if you waited it out and gave it a few more years, but then where's the PGA Tour at that point? How much has it fallen off? There is no Tiger Woods That's effect. right. That's okay? right. So, as much as I love Brooksy and Scheffler Sh- and Sh- Sh- is unbelievable, Hookem, I-, I just... I'm not a buyer or believer in the fact that you're going to get this huge ratings bump because you have this magnetic star that, that that you know, you can say, hey, if you don't watch this guy, you're missing out. There's a lot of great golfers on tour right now. I'm going to watch because I'm a hardcore golf fan. But the average casual guy, you want to see something spectacular. You want to see guys breaking records. You want to see guys doing shit that we hadn't seen. That's what made Tiger so special. And not only that, he's a person of color. We hadn't seen that. So when you add all of those effects into what was going on and why he was who he was and who he is. And oh, by the way, he was just blowing the blanking field away every every time he got a chance. You were like, damn, he did that. So it made you want to watch even if you were a casual fan. There's nobody right now on tour that's making you want to do that. So what you have to do as the PGA is get the best golfers all together in one one under one umbrella and make sure that you're giving this product to everybody. that that makes it seem as though you're getting the best golf available. And that's what they had to do it.
1: Yeah, no, they they, literally, they had to do it. And I think part of it comes down to their, uh, their competitive strength against the other sports in the world's greatest market, which is America, right? It's the biggest sports market. And when you're losing some of the most recognizable players, superstars in your sport, to a rival league, people are going to stop tuning in and they're going to watch so many other sports that are available to them in the same market. That's that was the biggest issue, I think.
0: I agree. Totally agree. Right?
1: So, yeah, I so what's your handicap by the way?
0: Uh, I'm I think I'm a 10 now. Oh. Yeah, I I so it's been one of these situations where my golf game when I got to Atlanta was really good. I played a lot more before I got here. And then when I got here, I had one singular focus, which has happened. And that was to have the number one sports show in the marketplace and have a top show in the country.
1: Congratulations, buddy.
0: Thank you. And um, all of that has transpired. It's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of things that, you know, it's just, there's, there's a lot of luck in this business and a lot of things that have to happen. You have to work with the right people and et cetera. But so when I got here, I hardly ever played. Uh, I went from playing all the time because I had an established situation in in Texas Mm -hmm. to coming here and saying, you know, I got to build this. And we started from zero. Uh, And as Drake says, you know, started from the bottom. Now we're here. So that's kind of my philosophy. And and now I'm at a point where I can play a little bit more and enjoy. My daughter's a little bit older and, you know, my life is in a different place. So I'm playing a lot more and enjoying it. But yeah, I'm about a 10. Uh,
1: Texas to Georgia. Talk about bucket list courses. (laughs)
0: Okay, wait. What are
1: some of the best courses you've played?
0: Oh, I've played. Uh, I've been very lucky. I mean, I've I've played. So when I was uh, traveling a lot, I used to do a lot of play-by-play college basketball. Did some football stuff. When I traveled, I tried to play wherever I was going. Like you know, when, when people travel, a lot of business guys do this. When you're going to go to Oregon, right? You're going to try to see if you can find a way to go go to play. You know. Uh, The dunes. If you go to uh, Florida, you're going to find one of the best courses in wherever you're at in in the area um, to make sure you get a chance to say, hey, I did that because I may not be back down here or I may not be here again. I'll tell you something that blew me away. And since you're up in Canada, this is I think maybe a lot of people may be familiar with this. But about five years ago, the Michigan travel arm of the state, I'm not sure what it's called. Mm-hmm. but they were trying to attract golfers to come to Michigan and they picked certain markets. I think they were in Dallas. They went to Phoenix. Were well, these markets where the golf is hot, where, you know, there's a lot of golfers and guys travel and they want to go play at different courses. And, um, they reached out and they said, Hey, we want you to come up for like, you know, four or five days. We're going to pay for everything. And we want to introduce you to the upper peninsula of Michigan. Okay. And I was like, "What? what are you talking about? <laughs> And uh, and they said, you know, part of this deal was because Hartsfield Airport in Atlanta is international airport. It's the busiest airport in the country. And, yep. you know, if you're, going, if you're going anywhere pretty much in the south or for that matter anywhere else, you're probably going to come through Atlanta. Um, and they said, well, now we have direct flights. Delta offers direct flights from Atlanta to, to Traverse City. And once you get to Traverse City, all these courses are within like an hour. Okay. Okay and Kobe I went up there we went up there uh, we took the show up there and they took us to different lodging and resorts and a lot of these places in the in the fall or in the winter are like ski resorts but in the summer they turn into you know golf resorts and getaways with crazy and,
1: and, elevation changes I'm guessing
0: oh it was unbelievable <laughs> so one of the best places I, and I, again I'm there's tons of places but one of the unique places we played was a place called treetops Okay, and it's in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and they call it the 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 U what's it uh, UP? Yeah, I think it is the nickname. Michigan folks, you know, they, they say that all the time. Oh, you're up in the UP, and so we went up there and we played a course called Treetops, and the whole premise is every tee box is above the tree line. Oh wow! And it was a yeah, and it's like a par three course, so you can finish this thing in like an hour and fifty minutes. I mean, it's it's but it's all par threes. But you tee off, and that's the whole premise is all the tee boxes are elevated to a point where you're hitting down 150, 170 yards down <laughs> to a hole. Trying to
1: figure out the right club. Yeah.
0: Oh, it was <laughs> it was absolutely incredible. But that – I only say there's so many great places to play, but that was one of those unknowns that I didn't know about. And once we went there, I was like blown away, and I'm telling all my, my golf buddies, like, you guys got to go to Michigan. And, and it didn't get dark. So you're in the upper part of the state. Mm-hmm. So literally – we start playing at like 9 a.m. And, and how they did this was they wanted us to see as many courses as we could. So we would literally play nine holes and leave and go to another course. Nine holes and leave. Nine holes, lunch, go to another course. So that's how we got a chance to see all these different courses. And it didn't get dark to 10 o'clock at night. So we're playing. I, dude, I played so much golf. I was like, I don't need to play for like six weeks. <laughs> it was unreal. <laughs> So we played all day, and then they take us to you know a resort. We'd spend the night or whatever, and then the next morning it was up, and we were out again, and they were taking us places. But it was the, one of the most unique experiences from a golf standpoint. Since you brought it up, that I've had, um, I've not played Pebble. I want to play Pebble. Um, that's on my bucket list. I've not had a chance to do that. But I, you know, there's there's so many great courses, man, that I've had a chance to play and, and been fortunate to get on. But if you were to ask me, that's the one I, I want to play that I haven't played yet
1: okay okay that's awesome man that's awesome thanks for sharing now you mentioned it you have a top rated show in the market one of the top rated shows in the in the country talk a little bit about what you're doing right now
0: the show is you know my my local show in atlanta is great i work with a guys names mike bell and, and we were friends long before we worked together and you know when you have these partnerships with guys on shows it's just important that, you know, you vibe and you see things in a similar way and, and your approach and all that kind of stuff. So the show here in Atlanta is has been unbelievable, um, which has catapulted me into doing some of the other stuff that I've done. But the CBS show, you know, Kobe, I've done the show that I'm doing on CBS Sports Radio right now. I've done that show for 20 years. Mm-hmm. People in Houston were familiar with it because it's kind of the show that I did. Um, and I say that just from a an outline standpoint, if you were to look at it just from an outline and say, man, I've, I've kind of heard this, you know, my, my phrase is put them up. That's my catchphrase. Um, and I think, you know, 20 years I've gotten people to say, you know, ironically, Hey man, I miss you. Or, uh, you know, put them up. I see people all the time and they, they drop that. So it stays with people and the way that the show is. And, and, you know, the way I take callers and all that, but that was stuff I was doing, a long time ago and when CBS approached me I don't know it's been three or four or five years now I don't even know how long I've been doing this show now three years maybe four years I told him you know listen I I'd love to do it but we have to find the right time slot because I do a five-hour show Monday through Friday in Atlanta and it's just it's a lot of radio um yes it is and and so uh <laughs> Mark Chernoff who the great Mark Chernoff who is one of the best guys ever in this business. He was he ran WFAN for 30 some odd years in New York. You know, we had a conversation about what what's the best situation. And I wasn't going to do a uh, a Saturday afternoon show to interfere with college football. I certainly wasn't going to do a Sunday afternoon show to interfere with the NFL.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um and and part of it was, you know, hey, I still want to have time for my family in a weekend. So timing was everything. And then when he called and said, look, Um, What do you think about 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Sunday morning? And I'm an early riser. Uh, I work relentlessly. And I I only say that to say, I know a lot of people think you show up and turn the mic on and you bullshit every day. But there's just so much more to it. And if you are going to be really great at it, I'm a true believer in that you have to work. And I had great mentors that taught me that and growing, growing in this business. So I'm up early and I'm always working. And I was like, 6 a.m. So I talked to my wife and she was like, you're already up. Like, that might be a good time slot. And then we started talking about leading into to the NFL Sunday, which is there's nothing bigger. Right. I mean, that's right. No, on Sundays, there's nothing bigger. So I was like, OK, this might work. And it's been great. And I love it. And my show, you know, I'm done by 10 a.m. If I want to, you know, head to the game or go, uh, you know, start cooking and tailgating or whatever I want to do. I can do for the day. And, and then I'm all in FL. And so from that standpoint, the time slot for me has worked perfectly. And more importantly, you know, it's heard in three, three hundred and some odd markets, including in Canada. And so um, I'm cleared, which for those folks who are not familiar with that term, but in your marketplace, um, your radio station has basically said we're going to take CBS radio during this time slot and you're going to hear the national show versus we're going to have a gardening show. Yes. Uh, On on Sunday morning. And so I'm cleared in all these markets. So I'm heard a lot more than a lot of guys who are on nationally just because of their time slots. And that was appealing. And and then, you know, the NFL part of it for six months, six and a half or seven months or whatever it is, we can do NFL and college football, which is the two things I absolutely love. It was a no brainer.
1: No, fantastic. Carl, congratulations, buddy. Now, a couple of quick questions for you. you. Quick answers. Don't even think about it too long. Aggies or Longhorns?
0: Horns. All day. Oh. Every day. Oh.
1: Okay. Who's got the better local cuisine, Texas or Georgia? Uh,
0: there is more culture, and I think uh, Atlanta has a better food scene overall. Dallas is similar, but not close to the culture and the c- types of foods I think that you can get here. Um, Texas has better Tex-Mex and Mexican food.
1: Okay. Hottest ticket in Atlanta. Which sport? Braves. Still baseball. Braves. Okay. They're, okay. they're good.
0: Braves country is real. And and you're seeing that with the attendance and the battery, which is where they play. It's just a fun place to be. It's a cool vibe. You know, um, think about an updated Wrigleyville with all the amenities and the coolness of today. That is what the battery is. And then the team is really good. Braves, hands down.
1: Okay. And in in Georgia, regardless of where you're at, are the Bulldogs the team to follow when it comes to college football?
0: Absolutely. Back-to-back national championships. But even before that, you know, dog fans are unique. Uh, they had been hungry for a championship. Not just an SEC championship. I'm talking about a national championship. And, and the great Vince Dooley, who just passed away last year, He was on our show for eight years and I loved our conversations with the legendary Vince Dooley who brought Georgia their first national championship, obviously in 80. Uh, And then, you know, 40 years later, you're talking about winning one with Kirby smart. This fandom is unbelievable. Right. And it's, and it's real and there's nowhere else, you know, as far as being in the state of Georgia, it's dogs and everything else. So yeah, if you're talking about where they are in the pecking order, Uh, everything you hear or sense or or you feel about Georgia Bulldog football is real.
1: Okay, and Atlanta's greatest sports rival, what city?
0: Um, Saints. It's New Orleans. It is the Saints and Falcons. It is a real rivalry. It is... Something I don't know if the rest of the country realizes. You know, we talk about Packers, Bears, uh, Giants, Jets. I, you know, I'm just uh, – and I don't even know if that's been a rivalry with the Jets being as bad as they've been. Maybe that changes this year. But, you know, Cowboys, uh, Eagles, or Redskins at the time, now the Commanders. There are some great rivalries. There is none more intense than Atlanta and New Orleans because the cities are similar in some ways. Um, and and the the thing about New Orleans fans is they love their team. And Falcon fans, you know, thought that they were going to get a Super Bowl when they didn't against yeah. Tom Brady. And and New Orleans has that over Atlanta's head right now with, hey, we've got one. You guys don't have one. But it is a fun rivalry to be a part. I've been down to New Orleans a couple of different times and, and witnessed it. You know, and you show up and everybody's talking trash, not, not mean spirited, just fun. Yeah. And when you win against the Saints, city is on a different vibe. It just is. That is the rivalry.
1: Right on. Now, where can our fans find you on social media?
0: You can find me at put em Up, C. Dukes, that's Twitter, and put them up across all social media platforms. I invite you guys to, to follow and see what's going on. Uh, but yeah, I, I really appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and uh, good luck with everything that you're doing. I know you've had some really high profile guests on, but at the end of the day, it's just about, you know, talking to people and letting them know what's going on. And uh, you're doing a really good job of that.
1: Appreciate it, man. Thank you. It means a lot coming from you, man. Your show's awesome. I'm so glad you're you're able to come on. Had a blast talking to you, buddy. Thank you so much, Kobe. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website, www.prosportspodcasters.com.
0: On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our youtube channel and deals from our affiliate partners
1: you can also sign up to become a psp insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips sponsor giveaways and insider newsletter so don't miss out on the full pro sports podcast's experience
0: where no sport is left behind